Welcome to the Bars and Tone Radio Podcast, an in-depth look at issues facing ACTA members today. Now here are your hosts, Brandon Boucher, Paul Meeks, and BJ Terry. And hello, and welcome to another edition of Bars and Tone Podcast. My name is BJ Atarian. My colleagues, Hal Meeks, Brandon Boucher. This is the podcast, All Things Hecta. And it's a little different today. We have a live studio audience. Hi. Welcome, (laughs) everybody. Yes. So a little bit about us, if we we haven't met you. Uh, We all work at NC State. I am the uh, student services manager and program director for several of our channels here. Hal, you want to do a quick introduction for you? I'm a PhD candidate and also a part-time employee. And I'm a broadcast engineer with uh, NC State and PAC TV. And so we run several local origination channels there, and we also have a radio station, and we also do the Bars and Tone podcast. And now, several years ago, Hal, you actually had uh, had a session here at AHECTA uh, about podcasting. Uh, what was that? What year was that? Was that uh, was that New Orleans? Was that? Uh, I think it might have been New Orleans. It's. When was New Orleans? A couple years ago? A couple years ago. So I think this was like right. 2016. Right. And so when then we were defining podcasts and talking about what podcast is. Uh, a lot has changed since then. But what, what would you say the podcast is today? Well, uh, one of the things that's happened is we have a shift from traditional podcasting, which use a uh, RSS feed, um, to things such as SoundCloud. Uh, which can also do RSS feeds, but um, also people can just go to you know SoundCloud and actually play episodes. So we've had a little shift here in terms of what podcasting now represents. And but there's still some common themes to what podcast was in 2016, 2015, through now. What, talk about some of those. Okay, so the common theme is still you um, is a lot of it's still short form content. It goes up to an hour. That's one of the things that. Uh, serial did um, with NPR was it basically reintroduced the idea of long-form content for podcasting. So um, there was a period there where everyone was focusing on short-form, you know, 30-second uh, podcasts, but now you're seeing longer-form podcasts now. But um, the other thing is, um, you know, there's a lot of niche, there's a lot of niche podcasting because, you know, the, the, the threshold for publication is relatively low. So one of the things I tell my students about is, uh, you know, such podcasts as uh, scrap, scrapbooking. There's a podcast for scrapbooking, for instance. And there's podcasts for arcane things such as old video game systems and stuff like that. So talk about some of the podcasts that you actually produce. We have this Ahecta podcast. We also do a sports podcast that we produce. But what about some of the things that you've done in the past? Well, obviously, I've done the Ahecta podcast. And a few years ago, when podcasting was first getting started, I, I did a podcast, and it was just the t- prototypical lone man with a microphone basically ranting for about, you know, 20 minutes to 30 seconds, 30 minutes or so. And so, and, and then how about the industry itself? At one point in time, podcasting it was kind of phasing out, and it seems like now it's back with a vengeance. Yes, it is. And in fact, what's happened is a lot of big players are now uh, in podcasting, such as the New York Times. And of course, obviously, in uh, NPR and, um, you know, other big players. Let's see here. Like, is it um, not, is it TuneIn? Not TuneIn. TuneIn does. Yeah. iHeartRadio. Yeah. That's it. iHeartRadio is actually one of the biggest um, in terms of podcasting. New York Times, I think, is like number two or number three now. So, which you would not think because New York Times, newspaper and everything. But New York Times has done a phenomenal job in terms of expanding their footprint in terms of digital media. So, is, would you say podcasting is, is thriving now, growing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously, there are many more opportunities in terms of podcasting now. There are a lot more platforms for, uh, you know, delivering podcasts. Um, the actual actual act of creating a podcast has become much, much easier and much simpler. You know, you have things such as Anchor, for instance, which will handle the entire thing for you um, from the beginning to the end. I, I think one of the things that's most important about the podcast now is not only the delivery, but the receiving of it. Everybody's got that phone in their pocket that can pick up a podcast anytime they want to. Um, and it's a great thing. Pick a 30-minute podcast while you're just commuting. I mean, it's replace radio pretty much for, for me. Um, I listen to podcasts on almost all my drives and commutes and stuff. So it's not only convenient now to produce a podcast, but it's super easy and just 
everywhere for receiving the podcast. So you say about 30 minutes, like what do you think would make good content? Does it have to be to mass appeal or could it be more, more unicast? No, it doesn't have to be mass appeal at all. You're appealing to who you want to appeal to and the people that, you know, you have everybody in the world trying to find their little niche and little hobbies and you can really dial down and drill down and get something you know, very specific and do a podcast about and people will find and listen to. So let's talk about that a little bit. If I just was wanting to go ahead and start to do a podcast today, what are some of the materials and things that I would need? Okay, obviously you need to have um, a clear mission as to what you're going to be doing with your podcast. Um, the other thing is, is that um, I'm a big advocate for scripting out or at least outlining out what you're going to be doing in each and one of your episodes because the worst thing in the world is listen to a podcast and have someone rambling on and on and on with no clear focus as to what they're trying to do. Those kinds of podcasts, you'll listen to one or two episodes and then you'll move on to something else. So that's when the clear thing is really up front, have everything uh, nailed down in terms of what you're going to be doing for your podcast. What's the focus of your podcast? If you are a niche podcast, then uh, have really great guests on, you know, who can basically add an, an additional dimension to your podcast. So it's not just you talking. And I really think getting a good script down is a, when you're starting a podcast in particular, or when you're doing it, you know, irregularly is a huge thing because if you have great content and you kind of stumble through the blocks for the first couple ones, if as long as you have a script, you're going to get better with it and you're going to be able to retain that audience you know, through your getting started phase and then really keep them as your podcast uh, hopefully blossoms into something you know, longer term. So I have a script. What about some of the equipment? We have a lot of equipment out here in front of us to do this. We, we really don't need all of this stuff. No, you really don't. And, you know, the prototypical podcasting is uh, just to use a, a computer and a, a Blue Snowball microphone, which is, God, what are those, less than $75. So really, you know, that and a pop filter, and you're in business in terms of just doing a podcast. So you don't really need a tremendous amount of equipment to be able to do it. I know we taught a class um, to, so where were the, where are visiting uh, They were teachers from, from Lebanon. They were from Lebanon. Yeah. You know, and trying to get them, they're going to teach with podcasts and help get their students into podcasting. And for them, it was as simple as having a phone with a microphone or a computer with a microphone. So it's something that's you can spend nothing on, just use what you're what you have in front of you, or really dive into and get a, a real nice, complete setup. So there's no real barrier to entry in podcasts. Even hosting podcasts can be done for free and cheap. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into hosting too. But so here we are at a hecta, um, and at least when I go to these conferences, one of the things that we might be talking about one thing, but it jogs my memory on something else. Like, oh, I could do this. I could start a podcast. What are some of the things that maybe uh, people who are here might want to start a podcast on, or or maybe even look up podcasts about? Like, there are, you could do podcasts on television. You could do. It could be as specific as. I don't know, laying cable? Well, uh, you know, television engineering, for instance, obviously there's a broad need for people who want to come up to speed with all the, uh, the changes that are happening in terms of just, the, you know, the infrastructure of delivering a broadcast. You know, the, the landscape has changed drastically over the last 10 years you know, with such things as on-demand content. You know, what we're seeing, obviously, um, not to go too far off the, um, off the path here, is, you know, move to, obviously, everything is digital now. So the idea uh, before of, you know, of having stuff basically, um, you know, that was going to go through a cable, uh, cable box is not necessarily where, where the future lies. And I think everybody here understands that. So having a podcast that talks about that sort of thing and it talks about what kind of infrastructure you would need, you know, um, what kind of technology you need to, do to be able to do that successfully would be a great podcast. I think a lot of people would have interest, not just in the industry, but also people outside the industry just want to understand better about how things work. I'm certain that a lot of people who are fascinated by technology would love to know, for instance, how Netflix um, works and how they, how they are able to provide television programming. So you know, two things that, that popped out to me there when you were just talking. Uh, first of all, is it good to have a single podcast or is it something that you want to have more than one episode of? 
Oh, you want to have multiple episodes. You want to have an ongoing, uh, ongoing conversation with your audience. Um, you know, engage your audience, you know, in providing fresh content. And that's a key thing, by the way, with a podcast is the idea that you're providing fresh content and that you don't have a podcast that's coming out, let's say, you know, well, you know, like once every two months or something like that because your audience is going to drift away. The best podcast typically will do uh, episode a week, which is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. To it's out. a lot of work. And at that point, you're almost looking at a, um, going from a hobby to a full-time job. But, you know, even if you do a podcast, let's say every two weeks, and you do a short podcast of about 20 minutes or so, um, I think you can basically sustain an audience with something like that. And I don't think it necessarily has to be any set time frame. I know one of my favorite podcasts, Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, he dives deep into historical events, and he only puts stuff out maybe like two podcasts a year. Now, they may be four hours long, but you know, if, if you have good content, people will listen, and people will come back, especially if they're a frequent listener of podcasts. You know, they're going to be subscribed to you, and they'll see that new episode pop up. So I think there's two different ways to go about that. I think another thing is when you're developing a podcast is look and see what strengths you have. You know, in your office, we have we do this podcast for Hecta. Uh, we do a sports podcast since we have a, a sports-driven uh, student organization called Pack TV that we manage, and we also have an in-house uh, radio station where we interview artists for podcasts. So, really finding what your expertise is and just drilling down into that will be you know what you can get started with. And I, I laugh at that because I forgot about that one, and I've spent the last like. 35 hours of my work week working on that podcast. And I forgot to mention it. Uh, and then this podcast too, we, we obviously want to do it more frequently, but we've, put, we've done, been doing this for probably three or four years now. Yeah, something like that. But it's definitely in a regular podcast. Right. Uh, but to Brandon's point that you, the, the content, the aggregators will upload or update and you'd find it. Um, and then getting back to uh, engaging with your audience, you know, make sure it's as easy as starting a, a Twitter feed and in getting that two-way conversation back and forth that you can see if someone has ideas of what, what you want to talk about or, you know, maybe has some disagreements with you. I mean, that's all part of the, the podcasting genre. And, you know, so it's important to make sure you're not just a one-way street as far as communication goes. And you, right. Go ahead. Yeah, actually, Brandon is completely right. Is one of the things that you want to do with a podcast is you want to engage with social media. And so you do want to use Facebook and you want to use Twitter so you can basically keep, uh, keep a dialogue going on along with your audience. Uh, uh, the other thing that you, uh, the other reason why you want to do this is because you may be looking at ways that you can monetize your podcast. Right. So you have things such as Patreon, for instance, you know, so, you know, the idea of value added podcasting. So you get the podcast, but if you also are a Patreon subscriber, you may get additional content Bonus as well. Episode. That's right. That's right. Now, one thing we, that we talked about at the last podcast uh, presentation was at that point in time, video was a component Video still can be a component, but we've kind of moved away from the vodcast and and sticking toward audio. Uh, Brandon, why don't you start talking a little bit about that? Sure yeah, I mean, it's definitely when you think of podcasts now, you think of it being an audio interface. There's definitely still a market for the the video podcast now, vlogs, and that's moved more onto the the YouTube you know type uh, situation where you just upload your you can do a day in the life of what you do every day, um, and it's essentially you're doing the same thing just with adding the uh, video component to it. But it's really moved off of the podcast genre. Right. And what Brandon is saying um, is that um, uh, the idea of, of vlogging or whatever we want to call it, um, it has been absolutely replaced by YouTube. And in fact, to the point where now uh, with uh, YouTube's uh, live streaming platform, one of the options you have is just basically to plug a USB camera in, just hit record, and that's all you need to do. You need to know, you don't need any software whatsoever uh, to be able to do a live, a live broadcast. And I'll be talking a little bit more about that later. But um, YouTube pretty much crushed. Um, you know, the idea. And the other reason why is because it never really caught on because um, it's a context of use. Brandon was talking about listening to podcasts in a car and things like that, you know, and that's a big thing about audio podcasting is you have this tremendous flexibility in terms of where and when you actually are enjoying podcasting content. The idea of video podcasts means that you're more likely to want to be able to watch what's going on and that's going to limit you in terms of the sorts of things that you can do, other activities. 
So we talked about uh, doing it as basically as just having a phone, talking into a phone, uh, and away you go. A little bit more advanced where we have uh, different sets of microphones, and then of course we have mixers and multiple computers and all up here too. But um, one thing we haven't talked about is actually editing and putting together these podcasts. Uh, Hal, why don't you talk a little bit about what a, a digital audio workstation is, DAW for short. And then we can talk also, maybe get into a little bit of destructive versus non-destructive. And we have some examples we'd like to show too. But first, sure. what's a DAW? Okay. Um, there's, first of all, listen, let's talk a little bit about terminology. You know, you have audio editing software such as the ever popular Audacity. Audacity is a destructive editing environment in that you make changes to your audio, you add filters to your audio, uh, you make edits. And those edits cannot be undone more than one step. So you can't go back half an hour later and go, well, I wish I really hadn't done that. You know, by that point, you've committed to those kinds of edits. And that's one of the reasons why I tell my students when they are uh, creating uh, audio content to save multiple versions of their content as they're working along. Um, the key thing, one of the key features of a digital audio workstation, and there are a myriad of them, is that you have non-destructive editing. So you can go back um, to um, some dialogue that you've edited and you remove part of the dialogue and then later you wish you hadn't done that and it's, it's incredibly easy to get it back. The other thing about it is you can have multiple takes uh, in a digital audio workstation. So you can do a take and then you can do another take and then you can do another take and then you can go back and pick pick which one you want to use. And the reason why that is because digital audio workstation software is was primarily focused on music production. So you're a guitarist and you've laid down some tracks and now you're going to do a lead guitar port part on top. And um, so you're punching in, you're playing your part and you're punching out and you go, well, you know, I didn't quite get the timing right. Let me do it again. And so you can basically go through and play that part multiple times. Now you've got multiple takes. Now you can lean back and pick which one that you want to use, uh, which one you want to use. The other thing about digital audio workstation software, and again, it is oriented towards music production, is that you have um, the ability to obviously plug in music keyboards. You usually have uh, software-based sound synthesis built in. Obviously, with something like Logic, you've got a whole ton of loops that are built in right. for constructing music. Um, you've got things such as pitch correction and stuff like that that are built in. So you have um, a, a way and above what you would have with some simple audio editing software such as Audacity. So it, let, let's talk about a little bit, because we were going to actually do a whole presentation on DAWs. Uh, up on our screen, we have uh, several of uh, the icons there. Uh, they really run the gamut, too, from the free over to the NLEs and the more expensive DAWs. Uh, Brandon, if you want to talk a little bit about what we have up here, and we're going to show some examples of these, too, um, starting there on the left. Yeah, so uh, we have got the very first one's Audacity. The, kind of just the free standard version that probably a lot of people have used at some point or the other if they have to do, had to do any uh, work quickly in, video, in audio rather. That one's a destructive doll. Then we can jump into those next two icons. Final Cut and DaVinci Resolve. Now Final Cut is something I like to use even though it's not a doll, it's a video editing software, but you can edit audio in that just as easy. And if that's something that you're comfortable with and you just want to jump into this, if you're just ready to go after this presentation, jump into a podcast and you're not sure about, you know, how your commitment level is to it or learning a new software right away, if you have some video editing skills, that's a perfectly uh, logical way to, to continue on. Now, the third one to resolve has a digital audio workstation built into it. Um, Fairlight. Yeah, Fairlight. And so that's another option. You know, that's going to have everything all in one. Then you go into the more traditional stuff like Audacity from the Adobe Suite and uh, Logic Pro. And then that last one is Media Compose. your area. Pro Tools. Pro Tools, okay. Ah, Pro Tools. <laughs> Yeah, um, I actually thought with Pro Tools as it was a baptism by fire and that I knew um, about six months before I'll be teaching the class that I was going to be teaching with Pro Tools and so I had to immerse myself in Pro Tools and use this incredibly thick book. Um, my take on Pro Tools is it's a dominant player in the audio production industry and I tell my students that by the way that they probably should become familiar with Audacity, I mean Audacity with Pro Tools. Uh, because it is so widely used. 
The thing about Pro Tools, however, is it's almost a lifestyle choice. You become, right. you actually, you actually have to really immerse yourself in Pro Tools because it's not a, an incredibly intuitive application in terms of editing, um, editing and producing music content. Um, the other one, obviously, that I think is a comparable product is, of, is Logic. And Logic, again, is focused a little bit more on music production. Um, if I had to pick between the two, if you're going to go in the industry, I'd probably say Pro Tools. If you're a musician, um, it's a toss-up. I think Logic is actually great. I really like it a lot. So, But if we look at, at these choices again, um, drilling down, if I'm going to start a podcast today, first of all, talking about pricing on this, uh, Audacity is free. Yes. Um, it's flat out free. It is uh, destructive that we talked about, though. Uh, Final Cut, it's a one-time charge of one ninety-nine. That's it. It's either $199 or $299. I can't remember. That's really something, something there. You're not going to purchase that specifically to do a podcast. Right. You wouldn't do that. But once you have it, you have it. You don't have to do the licensing like you do with Adobe Audition in the Creative Cloud. You can speak to the cost of that. Aye, aye, aye. Creative Cloud, the bane of my existence. Yes. So the, the Creative Cloud is a... Um, it is an expensive proposition. If you're in the industry, then you're probably going to have to have it. Um, there is educational pricing on it. It's uh, um, uh, around $200 for the first year, and then the second year, uh, your costs in educational pricing, uh, I want to say, goes up to about $360 to $380 a year. If you're not in the educational industry, it averages about $50 a month for Creative Cloud. So with so Creative Cloud, Cloud there's that ongoing expense. What does Pro Tools do? Is that a one? Okay, so the deal with Pro Tools is um, the way it works is you buy it, you own it, it uses an iLock key. Um, you actually have two versions of it. You have an iLock key version, and then you have another way you can authenticate it. But the important thing is, is that you're limited on the number of workstations that you can actually install the software on. Um, there is a one-time cost for Pro Tools. Um, however, one of the things that Pro Tools is notorious for is um, when new versions of the OS come out, um, sometimes it breaks Pro Tools. And so they'll send right. out a notification telling users do not update. For instance, I, I can predict already that uh, Pro Tools may not work with Catalina, the new version of Mac OS. I don't know that to be sure, but that's typically what happens. And so what will happen is you'll have to wait a few months for Pro Tools to come out with a new version. And when they do so, they may roll out a new version number, and then they may say there's a cost for um, going ahead and updating to the new version. So you have a lot of people who use Pro Tools, and they just simply keep a magic workstation that they run Pro Tools on that they never update. So you brought up a good point there. This is all the assumption that we were just all on all these Macs. Some of these are cross-platform. So obviously Final Cut and Logic are not cross-platform. Uh, Audition, Resolve, Audacity, Pro Tools, Pro Tools cross-platform too. Yes. So yeah, if you're in the Mac environment, then you maybe gravitate toward that Logic or maybe even Final Cut. And then the other one up there, DaVinci Resolve is totally free and that's all three. Uh, you can do Linux, Mac, or PC on that. Uh, but if I were to start today and I had to have a basic editor, probably Audacity to get going, Absolutely. keeping in mind that it is uh, destructive. Yes, that's what I have my students using. I have them using Audacity. So I'm going to break out of the presentation here, and we have actual samples of each one of these um, DAWs, or, or we have most of these DAWs up here. Um, but we could also show the difference between destructive and non-destructive. So if we jump over to Audacity, Resolve is giving me fits because it keeps wanting to save something. Sorry, bear with me. So Audacity, I've loaded a song into Audacity here. Um, and so let's say I want to delete all the rest of the song. And all I did was highlight and now I hit delete. So the beginning of the song is still on there. But the problem is that's gone now. So if I play this and I don't want to blast us, okay, it's it, it's gone. I can command Z, but if I were to go four, five, six steps past this, and then I decide I want to bring that song back, I'd have to undo my history 
going back that far. That's destructive editing. Absolutely, yes, and that's the big thing about Audacity. Audacity does, um, it does support multi-tracking, by the way, but it's a very primitive form of multi-tracking, but it does work. I mean, you can do narration and then do background music on top of that. I, I showed my students how to do that in class. And to be honest, Audacity, we run the radio station and we're in Audacity all the time. It's a quick, easy, down and dirty editor. But if you're doing something more long form and you want to go back and make changes, then you have a problem with that. I've got the exact same song. I am now in Audition and I'm going to blade it and I'm not going to do keyboard shortcuts because I'm going to get confused. Um, except I'll do that one. No, I can't even do that one. Okay. So the exact same situation, I delete the song, but it's non-destructive. There it is, all again. So if I have multi-tracks and I've decided uh, I've got a whole bunch of stuff down here and I want to bring this song further along, well, I deleted it, or I bladed it. I'll do it again. And then I will select the part I want to get rid of. But I don't have to undo all the other things I'm doing. I can just click and, and drag it out again. Um, and that's the same in the other editors as well. Uh, let's see here, Resolve has been talking the whole time, so let's go to it. This is Fairlight. One thing about Resolve that is kind of cool is, and this is getting off the subject of podcasting, it's got, uh, it's got your NLE, it's got your motion graphics compositor, it's got your digital audio workstation all in, built into the program on its own tabs along the bottom. But it's the exact same thing. If I were to blade something here, and it's the scissors, and then I'll just move it over, or delete it all together, that's non-destructive. So obviously you can see the benefits of, of doing it that way. And then the last one, to Brandon's talking points earlier, this is Final Cut now. Um, and it's the exact same song in here. Now, Brandon, you like editing in Final Cut. In fact, you do most of your editing in Final yeah, Cut. Yeah, I just uh, work in the TV world. I worked in Sony Vegas, and I just didn't really deal with audio workstations that much. I just learned uh, in my NLE. So if Final Cut, jump into that any time. I probably already have it open during my day and just drag my song in there, whatever audio I need to cut up cut it up and, and punch it out. So I have it there. It's easy resource. Um, I, mean, I know how to use Logic, but it's something I don't have to spend time opening Logic and closing, closing other things to keep it going. It just keeps me in my workflow. So that's how I work with uh, editing audio in Final Cut, just because it's quick and easy for me. It works the same as editing video and uh, gets it done quickly for and it's non-destructive and non-destructive so one really good thing about final cut and also it's available in resolve and i think it's available in logic too is with final cut there's no save okay it's automatically doing it behind the scenes and resolve it's called live save uh, and so if the program crashes because they all crash right if the program crashes, you didn't lose anything. It's always saving in the background, uh, which, is, which is really great. So there are a lot of different options there uh, as to what you can do insofar as choosing your, your DAW or your NLE. So where are we back in the presentation? Okay, so Hal, if I wanted to start a podcast today, you had in your original presentation and when you teach your students, you talk a little bit about the different types of audio itself. Sure. And we have to slide up here if that helps you remember what oh, we're okay. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you're in the middle of producing content and you're not ready to deliver content, but you want to save snapshots of your work, then um, you need you probably want to use Wave or AIFF. And the reason why is those are both lossless uh, audio compression technologies. We call them codecs. So what does that mean to be lossless? Okay, lossless means that um, you know what you're recording and what you're saving is going to be exactly the same. There are no changes that are being made to the audio file other than the fact it's being digitized. So you can come back later, you can make changes to it, you can save those changes, and um, you're not going to have any degradation of your audio itself. It's going to always sound consistently good. So WAVE is what you would use, or AIFF is what you would do in the middle of the production process, but also when you're done, that would be your archive quality version of your audio that you would then save or later if you want to do something else with it. 
Is one file bigger than the other? Oh, yeah, yeah. WAV files, AIFF files are big. Um, are larger. They're, they're not humongous. However, if you're using high sample rates, such as 986 kilohertz, then the files will get tip, you know get quite big. But um, for um, a lot of a lot of work, um, only people who really use 96 kilohertz um, would be like musicians. They'll okay. they'll use that. Um, the other one is FLAC. FLAC is kind of weird, but what it's used, if, what the context is used in is a lot of like, for instance, Grateful Dead tape traders, for instance. You and know, insurance, is, right? Right. It's, an, it's another uh, high duck. quality. Nothing? Not going to talk about the Aflac duck? <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk about the Aflac duck. It is, a, it is an open source audio uh, compression technology. Uh, it is lossless, and so again, it's used for a lot of things like tape trading of live shows and stuff like that. So it, it's out there. It's a format you can use. However, you'll find that a lot of um, audio uh, production software cannot ingest it, so you'll end up having to convert flat content into WAVE or AIFF if you're going to be able to edit it. Um, let's look at um, MP3. So MP3 is common as dirt. That is the one that you'll want to use for delivering your podcast. Um, that is, you know, is a uh, technology that's been around for a very, very long time. Uh, the copyright uh, on the technology itself has lapsed, um, and the company who had the copyright has not chosen not to renew the copyright. So, I didn't know that. That's great because a lot of times when you're trying to export to MP3, it wouldn't do it unless you added the code. Uh, yeah, and Audacity, for yeah, instance. It used, right. used to be a big problem, Audacity. Right, yeah, and so that's not a problem anymore. And it is, uh, MP3 is um, the universal language for audio. Um, any uh, mobile phone will play MP3 content. Uh, any uh, laptop, desktop, you know, Linux, Windows, Mac, it'll all do MP3 content. Uh, TV sets that have a USB port on them can typically play MP3 content, so it's a very common format. The problem with MP3 is MP3 is a loss is a lossy technology. Um, the way it works is it actually looks for similarities in inside of an audio file and basically tries to aggregate those similarities. So if you talk to musicians, they will, they are horrified. Some of them are horrified, like Neil Young, for instance, hates MP3 because it is a tech audio technology that does make changes to the audio file in order to make the file more compact. And so it can be delivered over the internet. So you can go to Amazon, download your music, and the music files will be relatively small. Um, for podcasting content, it means that hour-long podcast, the file for that podcast is going to be relatively small, so it's going to download quickly if you're on your phone and you're not on a Wi-Fi connection. So MP3 is a great technology for endpoint delivery. However, it's not really a great format for audio production itself because um, it's, there's generational loss. Every time you open an MP3 file, you edit it, and you save that MP3 file out, it continues to make changes to the audio file and will continue to degrade the audio file over time. So it's a great, it's a great format, but it's not what you want to use for... Um, for like archiving, for instance. Okay, so Brandon, we know the format we're going to use. We know we have content. We know our DAW. There's one big thing we haven't done yet, and that's distribute this. Yeah, absolutely. Distributing it's, is. Go ahead. Well, how? Yeah, uh, how do we go about doing that? How do we get our podcast out there? So you get your MP3 out, and then you're really going to you need to find a podcast host, and then once you get your host set up, they'll provide the the XML file to get it out to the the big aggregators. So um, when we are talking to the uh, those teachers from Lebanon, um, trying to find them a way to do it for cheap is really opened up a couple of more options. SoundCloud right now is a pretty big player in the in the business. So they've, I think you get like uh, about 90 minutes of free, maybe it's more than that, maybe it's a couple hours of free hosting. And as you host those files up there, you it does all the backend stuff for you and generates your XML file. You want to jump in, Helen? Oh, yeah, sure. I got a whole list here. Um, you know, the one that's, I, you know, some of these do cost money. Um, SoundCloud, I believe, is actually really cheap. It's if you actually do want to pay for SoundCloud so you can host more content, you're really only looking at about $20 a month. Um, for SoundCloud, I believe that's the case. Oh yeah, when you pay when you have to yeah, go. when you pay for it, so it's still relatively cheap, you know. And if you're producing a lot of content, it's just, it's kind of a slam dunk for twenty dollars a month. 
One that I think is, um, there's several here. I got Podbean, Libsyn, okay? But one that I think is really interesting is Anchor. And the reason why is because Anchor is free. Um, and it was recently, they were recently bought by Shoutcast. Uh, not Shoutcast. Um, not Shoutcast. What is it? Um, I'm drawing a blank. No. I'm drawing a blank. We can look it up, right? We have yeah, yeah, yeah. They Brandon's were on it Spotify. They were oh, bought, okay. I'm sorry, not Shoutcast. They were bought by Spotify because Spotify is becoming a big player in podcasting as well. Um, the, the Anchor's business model is it is free, but the way it works is they do ad insertion. So they will host your content and they will also um, deliver your RSS feed for you, but you, are, you do have ad insertion for your content. But if I go to one of these aggregators, I don't go there. If I let's say I go to Apple Podcasts or I go to Google uh, Podcasts or even TuneIn, how does how does it get there from here, or does it? It does. Um, for instance, let's say you, let's, let's just say for the sake of argument that you're using uh, let's say Podbean. Okay. Okay. So um, what'll happen is you'll have your content and in your uh, in your you know your uh, panel for uh, managing your content, you'll literally have a publish button to publish your uh, feed that you're creating to um, iTunes, for instance, or to, I believe, Spotify. So they handle all the work for you. What you have to do is an example of iTunes is you go to iTunes, they have a, a website for uh, setting up your podcast with them. So you fill out some paperwork with them. It's very easy, a very simple process. Within a day or so, you get a notification back from iTunes that your podcast has been accepted. And at that point, you are, you're free. You just go ahead and start publishing your content. So it, they make the process really simple to be able to do that. Now, the other thing about doing podcasts, and I always tell people to do this, is you're not limited to one particular place to have your podcast uh, published. You can basically publish your podcast in multiple locations. And in fact, I strongly advocate doing that. But to do that, do I have to go to all these different locations to do it, or does this software, this, these sites do that for me behind the scenes? Right. Well, like, for instance, uh, again, you know, looking at just picking one, like, again, Podbean, uh, you go in, you basically push a button, say, I want to go to iTunes, you push another button, you go to uh, Spotify. So they'll handle that for you. Um, you do actually still have to go to uh, iTunes and set your podcast up, but okay. once you're done, um, you just basically... Um, you know, just simply just publish. That's you know? so you set it up the first time, and then at that point, you are it you are you are good to go. Yeah, absolutely. One time setup, and even if you start to use another uh, one of these hosting services, it doesn't do it automatically. It's pretty much as easy as just copying a, a link that the the settings panel will generate for you, and pasting it in where they ask for it. And it's definitely you know important to get it out there, get it out to Apple Podcasts and. Uh, Google Podcasts and TuneIn and Spotify. The more places you can get it out, the better. And you might have to spend five minutes setting up each one, but once you get done setting it up, every time you upload to your host, it's automatically being picked up and put in there and all those uh, uh, content aggregators. So you don't have to keep continuing to say, okay, Apple, I have a new podcast today. Once you upload it, it gets done. So summing it up, if I wanted to do this totally for free, I could do this with my phone mm -hmm. using a free DAW like Audacity or even downloading Resolve and using that free uh, DAW inside Resolve with Fairlight. I could use one of these free... Yeah, SoundCloud is pretty easy one. You get three hours of free time. And then if you uh, want to use that up, it's 12 bucks a month now for unlimited SoundCloud hosting so you could do this really cheaply yes so then the last question we had on our, our, our rundown here is has it become easier to do a podcast now than it was in 2016 when you first did this oh gosh yes it's become incredibly easy to do a podcast you know again you know um i anchor is moving towards a um a system where you literally all you need is a phone to be able to do everything. And then there's apps too that let you record on the phone, add in your extra, you know, do your audio, simple audio edit and get intros and outros in there. Right on all, the phone. Yeah, you know, all on the app. On yeah, the that's, that's what Anchor does. So you can have actually. a completely polished podcast from a free app. 
So, and, but the number one thing is you need to have that content idea, that story you want to tell. Oh, yes. sure. So I'd like to talk with our group here. Are any of you already doing podcasts? Nobody's doing podcasts yet. Any thoughts of doing podcasts? Now that we've had this, uh, this little talk. One of the things that you can do, um, that you can consider doing if you're thinking about doing a podcast is the whole idea of repurposing content. So if you're already producing in-house content, um, there's, um, there's absolutely no reason why you can't go ahead and repurpose that content for doing a podcast. In fact, I think it's a really great idea to do, to do that. Uh, the, one of the examples of somebody who does that is TED Talks, for instance, where they're producing a lot of content and then make that content available through multiple venues, including a podcast. And I put this slide back up. We, did, we didn't talk about it earlier, Hal, but you had hit some of these things. These are uh, it's a little bit hard to read, but these are some of the more popular players in podcasting now. Yeah, this, con this is a relatively new, um, this, I think this came out just like about a month ago. So let's see. What's, um, so those of you who can't see it, it starts, uh, number one is iHeart, uh, followed by NPR, and then PRX. Is that Public Radio International? It's PRX, yeah, okay. Public Radio. And then fourth is New York Times. I'm not familiar with Wonderly, but Barstool Sports started out. Oh, my God. Barcel Sports is huge, absolutely. I mean, I was talking about it in class, and you would, uh, you know, God, like about, I would say there were about, in my class size of 24 students, I would say there were about five or six that are listening to Barcel Sports. But that started out really grassroots too, right? Yeah, it was, a, it was just a couple of guys, literally, you know, that started this thing. And now it's, you know, it's absolutely huge. And then TED Talks is coming in there in uh, WNYC Studios. So that's one station that's doing a lot. Yeah. So the, yeah. if you were to, uh, to our audience here today thinking about starting a podcast, um, what would you say? I would the, just reiterate some things. Have great content. And make sure your content, um, you know, is relatively fresh. So, you know, keep stuff. Keep, I, I personally believe in keeping stuff out there so you can continue to engage your audience. Um, absolutely, as I mentioned before, to reiterate, uh, make use of social media to um, raise uh, awareness of your podcast. Um, and again, you know, um, you know, and that includes, you know, using things. I would even things that are not intuitive, such as Instagram and things like that, to promote your podcast. So you know, make sure you're engaged. It's something that doesn't cost. A, it doesn't cost anything in terms of money. It just takes the time for you to be able to do that and make people aware of what you're doing and what's coming up in terms of new shows. So I'd also like to ask the group again, how many of you are engaged in either content creation or outreach? Okay, well, and this, this could be a great area that is really uh, cost effective to do that, those, those two things, um, especially because you can do it for free. And for those of you listening on the actual podcast, most of the hands in the room uh, went up. Right. Uh, one the, I worked with a student group on campus that was doing a uh, podcast, and their podcast was, was focused on the NC State University community. And so they were interviewing faculty um, and also doing uh, spot interviews with students and things like, you know, that kind of content. So they were producing a podcast that was about the NC State University uh, campus community, um, but it was all student-created. Um, student yeah, just remember, you know, if you have students that might be interested in doing this, leverage them. And just remember your podcast doesn't have to appeal to the whole world. Right. And you can also, and that, in their case, they were a recognized student group on campus. So they actually got funding um, for um, such things as being able to buy equipment and for a hosting for their podcast. Um, so they were, um, the thing about something like that, however, just to speak from experience, is that you, um, if you are working with students, is make sure you have a, a clean handoff. So students are going to graduate. Right. So as they graduate, make sure that you have uh, students in place that can take, pick it up and keep it going. And that was something um, I struggled with. I was their uh, faculty advisor. And that was something that I had to push them on 
was to, as one of the people who was the main uh, mover and shaker uh, was graduating, is getting somebody else in place that could keep that particular thing going. And then uh, we, I didn't have this slide up when we were talking about it, but here's some of the, uh, the popular places, which everybody knows. You go to Apple iTunes or now Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Podcasts, uh, Citroen Spotify is uh, obviously a big player too now. Um, and then are there questions on, on any of this, either how to start it? Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to repeat the question too so we can capture it here. Yeah, in the back, go ahead. Okay, so the question is, with so much content out there, how do you market your, con uh, your podcast to get the word out there? One of the things that you do, and by the way, I'm going to put in a plug for this. Um, um, about three or four years ago, Apple um, published something through their developers conference on how to do a podcast. And I play this for my students. And half of it is, you know, obviously pushing Apple's iTunes platform and everything. But the other half of it was basically talking about, so you want to create a podcast, what, do you, what are the things that you want to do? So obviously one of the things is to have strong branding uh, for your podcast. And that includes things such as having a good logo and things like that. The other thing is to look for opportunities where you can basically go to other podcasters who are already doing podcasts and basically show up on their podcast. In their example, they were doing a podcast on, on food, um, international cuisine. So what they did is they reached out to other podcasters who were doing uh, similar kinds of shows and showed up on their shows and then had an opportunity to say, hey, by the way, we have a new podcast that's being created. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, here's the information about it. So having those ideas where you basically can cross, you know, cross pollinate with other podcasts to raise the awareness of your podcast. The other thing is I mentioned again is, um, just one more time is social media because it is so huge in terms of making that brand, making your brand awareness. So partner with your partner with your campus. If you are in a particular, um, school on um, inside of your campus, um, you know, some of these, some of these uh, schools on inside your campus, such as the College of Design, they have someone in their organization that handles their social media. So if you're going to do a podcast through the College of Design, you would certainly reach out to them and make them aware, hey, we're getting ready to do this. And then they would make that part of their social media um, uh, awareness is to say this podcast is coming out. So that would be um, useful for anyone who's alumni, for instance, uh, and also obviously students that are currently enrolled in the program. I would like to add to one thing is maybe you think differently about it. Is your podcast designed to get out to everybody on a broadcast level? You can have a very successful show, a very successful podcast if you are reaching the right people all the time. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about later in our, present, uh, our other presentation with our PAC TV channel is, yeah, we, we do want to get out to as many people as we can see, but we deal a lot with club sports. So club sports maybe aren't as popular as the varsity level sports, but if I'm hitting those same parents, those same fans of that team every time, well, advertisers are interested in that. And so it, it, as broadcasting becomes more unicast and, and narrow niche, you might just want to think about it a little differently too, depending on your content. So are there, do you have a question? Okay, so the question is, do we have any data that uh, shows the length of the podcast, whether shorter or longer, is better? Well, uh, you know, it really depends on the content. You know, again, i got to put in a, a plug for Serial, because Serial uh, was a sea change in terms of the podcasting landscape. Again, a lot of content was then was going towards shorter-form content, and then Serial came along and revitalized the idea of long-form content. Um, because everybody was listening to it and everybody was talking about it. It had a tremendous amount of buzz, you know. So, again, you know, I don't have any actual numbers for you. Um, I can't say this, however. Um, you are able to look at, um, you as a podcaster can look at back-end data um, through your podcasting provider and also through iTunes. So you can see who's listening to your podcast and um, so you can get those kinds of numbers. And the, the great thing, too, about podcasting, if you sit down and 
you record an hour episode and you're seeing 20 minutes is what your viewers want. And now you have three, you have three podcast episodes. And yeah. even, even if they, they need to be timely, you can spread them out over a week instead of, you know, having every two week run or something like that. Other questions? Yes, sir. Okay, so the question there is we have content already created a community forum. Do we repackage that or do we just put it out there audio as the actual podcast? I would, I would say at least, you know, provide some context before it as it gets started. You know, have a, a host introduce it even if it's just very briefly. It'll give it a lot more polish and it'll make it seem like it's unique and interesting in terms of that podcasting context. You know, and I would even do things, so I would have a, uh, a host that shows up every week and says, and that could be your faculty member, every week and says, okay, this is what we're going to be doing. And that, that introduction would talk about what the subject is for this week, what were the particular things that, you know, you want to pay attention to in this particular forum, you know, what were some of the ideas that were generated as a result of it. And then at the end of the podcast, at the end of your podcast, you have a bookend piece at the end that says, here's some of the things that came up out of this forum. Here's some particular action items or things that were discussed. So you have a bookend and you have a conclusion. That takes your uh, form, your raw content, and now makes it into something that's a lot more polished and a lot more engaging for your audience. So one thing that this particular podcast has that our normal podcasts don't have is a time limit. We have to stop. Um, so are there any other questions? Because we have to set up for the next presentation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I got one thing to say. Go ahead. Okay, one of the things that I didn't mention before is um, what we're doing with hosting our podcast. Um, we're actually using uh, a free piece of software for our hosting. So if you already have infrastructure on your campus for hosting content, you know, through like your IT organization or yourselves, you can use Podcast Gen. Um, it is open source, it is free, and um, it will handle uh, ingesting the content and create that RSS feed for you uh, that you can then go to iTunes or go to Spotify or whoever and actually um, uh, do your podcast. So they will. So that part of it will actually take care of your hosting part for you if you're able to do that all, if you have that infrastructure on campus. So this podcast, if, we, uh, if we're not totally exhausted, will be available this afternoon on all of those sites that we normally distribute. So if you want to revisit any of it, obviously you can come talk with us, but also you can listen to the uh, podcast later today. Uh, for my colleagues, Brandon Boucher and Hal Meeks, thanks for listening to the Bars and Tone mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm.